Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So today I get to introduce Hilary Sokonos. I hope I said that right. And I think you followed on Instagram, Bluebells Forever. I think you are a follower. And then I looked at your photos and I'm like, oh my gosh, these are, I mean, obviously professional photographer and a photo shoot that was set up. And they are, each one of those is stunning to even choose which one to post when I um, launch this. There's, I'll have to probably edit it down a little bit because every one of those is just so classy, elegant, sexy, all the things that there, and then also to see your beautiful training. There's a couple pictures in front of the Eiffel Tower that took my breath away. So it just shows like your training. And, and then I loved when we set this up that you sent me um, a bio and your photos and you were so organized. And so I already had some things to look at before we even started our conversation. So I was like, I really need to interview Hillary because I'm just so fascinated by somebody who just has this professionalism of how they even present themselves. And even just our little talk before this, that uh, you're a girl who has, has uh, a lot going on, a very um, a visionary and also just very smart in how you are proceeding as a dancer. And I would love to get to that. But first, we want to talk about um, how you started dancing. But go ahead and just say hello and where you're from and where you are now. Well, thank you for having me on, Bluebell Forever. I've admired your podcast since its existence and I've seen my colleagues and legacy dancers of the Lido being interviewed about the photos credit goes to Luke Isley a professional dance photographer in Salt Lake City Utah who came out to Paris I used to live in Salt Lake City I own the Salt Lake City Ballet there where we made contact and we arranged with um, the ballet Mistress Jane Sansme a photo shoot at the Lido with all the fabulous costumes. And then of course, set the great landmarks of Paris. Great souvenirs. Yeah, they need to be giant posters. They need to be like art in people's home. They're just so classy, so beautiful. So yes, Currently, shout out to that. Cor- the Instagram is, right, there's a, is a gallery. You have to do something with all these beautiful photos we can take now. I think never, never before have dancers been photographed so much, so often and have had galleries online galleries to present you know it's very interesting so yes my name is Hillary I'm American I was born in California and raised in Oregon I went to the Portland Ballet under the direction of Nancy Davis she runs an exceptional studio there that get, that gave me balancing training from John Clifford um, excellent repertoire and she is tall Nancy is <laughs> taller than me I'm five nine and Nancy also hired other tall female dancers. Patty Jones was one of them. And we had many tall Angela Napier dancers there who went on to be soloists and had great careers. So choosing a studio that has great role models really was a key to my success. Also, uh, before I went to that studio, I had an opportunity to study with the Jodhpuri. And <clears throat> this summer I returned to the Jodhpuri and sought employment there on a sabbatical. And I was very happy to be accepted into their, working in their summer program in New York, which I was, I have to speak in the past tense because 
due to the pandemic and of course what happened to New York, the most of their nationwide programs were converted to online and a virtual dance program, which was amazing actually. The Joffrey did a fantastic job, can you imagine? In a month or two, they moved an entire national network, something like eight locations, almost completely online, on Zoom. It wow. was incredible. So that was incredible to be a part of as amidst all the loss and grief that happened in the pandemic. Of course, dancers were go-getters. I did a series on my friends and colleagues called Resilient Artist, Resilient Dancer, which was about something, how do you, how do you put words to the loss and grief that our community experienced without, you know, dancers, we don't want to complain. We have a high pain tolerance. We don't want to be seen as whiny. We're very strong people, but we, it was so profound. And then what I saw my friends do, Amber Ivers, she is in Australia. She got into a teacher training course for yoga. She was immediately teaching on Zoom before I knew what Zoom was. I interviewed dancers who were graduating in the pandemic. Can you imagine being 18 or 21? And that's, that's the welcoming in, into the, the dance industry. So I got off point. But <laughs> no, but that was so good because it also, we can kind of jump back and forth because you're in Paris because there is opportunity while the show isn't happening. We can, we can go back and forth a little bit. So you're, you went back to Paris for a reason. It says staying in America. I mean, definitely different countries are handling this different. And dancers are either just having to sit around and wait and do whatever jobs they can. But you have opportunities to do something else to keep expanding while you're in this waiting period. Well, I think it's self-made. And a lot of dancers returned home to, one, be with family because we don't have that opportunity. Most dance careers take us away from our families and our hometowns. So we took advantage of that and we took advantage for our bodies to heal. But any opportunity that I saw was, was self-made by most as companies were put into a state of confusion or closure. So that's where um, that happened. But to get back on track, so I'm a bluebell at the Lido de Paris. Uh, since 2015, I was hired directly in an audition in Paris, their final audition, um, where Benoit Swan and Jane and Franco Dragon were all watching. And I felt very fortunate in the timing, it always takes persistence, luck and timing to have that. And I felt in the audition that I was a good match. I saw that they recognized my technique. I have a ballet background, musical theater, jazz, modern, contemporary, teaching background. Um, I'm university educated in the University of Utah, Bachelor of Fine Arts and Pedagogy. I own my own studio. So this type of American training background and walking into a cabaret and into a showgirl, one of the most famous in the world, and I didn't even know it at the time. So I felt very um, fortunate to, this company was hiring tall dancers with a versatile, you know, education, deep education in dance. And I know Benoit, he wanted American style. He wanted these types of dancers and every country produces, you know, brilliant dancers of, of different styles. So I became a part of this cabaret that um, was very controversial in the opening, but very triumphant of a reimagining and a, a revision of French cabaret. 
as I said, uh, pulling it into the new era, into the new, well, now we're in the post-pandemic era. <laughs> I think the, the show will, will still survive. You know, it's a crazy time right now. So I've been in France for five years and I took a sabbatical to explore career opportunities in America. I was successful and the pandemic had um, different plans. So I returned to Paris because my life is here. America is a difficult place to be in a crisis. It's very stressful. You, yeah, you said <laughs> something beforehand too about there's just not the, there's not the safety for something to happen where other countries are dealing with it different. And so the, the choice to go back to Paris and not kind of watch everything kind of keep crashing and falling as it's happening here feels wonderful that you had a choice to do that. Right. So the French system has a lot of breaks and safety nets compared to the American system. And I'm speaking in the arts, how many companies in America provide safety nets for artists, you know, we can say Cirque du Soleil, that's a Canadian company, they're now bankrupt. What about Universal? What about Disney's? You know, all the dancers I know there, their unemployment has run out and they've they've had Ugh. drastic cuts and, um, and no comment. I, I never had healthcare in America, how about that? So coming to <laughs> France, I, I'm fortunate to have a, a permanent contract um, in the French system. I retain my healthcare I'm retaining um, like a partial pay while the theaters are closed and um, moving towards reopening. And also I have access to formations, which are training and certification or like competency programs. So regardless if there's a pandemic or not, when you work at these large uh, cabarets, they are a certain size that they within certain jurisdiction of French law, right? So I am supported when I have a career transition. Uh, we have access to sabbatical in these formations. And because of the pandemic, they've thrown in access to a few more uh, foundations or competencies. And that can vary how long, um, you know, what, what is the certificate? So that was a main motivator of coming here is to continue building my runway for a career transition um, off the stage elegantly moving <laughs> you know, I'm going to take my last, the last bow comes to everyone so I want to um, uh, move towards that with grace and security <laughs> and you had uh, I know you work for Jean and Ryan I, I love like I think Jonah there's quite a few of that I've interviewed that, that kind of have done both they've done the cruise ship thing and they've done uh, the cabaret world but you when you're on the ship you had no idea can you tell a little bit like how you even found out about the Lido because the difference from an American view of like Vegas being so close and coming from a fine arts background, uh, it's not looked at the same. <laughs> so can you tell about like what even right. got you there? Were you just done with the cruise ship and looking for something new? Well, first Jean and Ryan needs to be given credit for launching the current generation of showgirls. She mm -hmm. would pick out young dancers who maybe never had a professional contract or who we're just coming out of school or transitioning or what, whatever. She had an eye and a standard that directly correlated to world-class cabaret and showgirl. And she, yeah, us she, on did. she gave us, many of us, our first opportunity. In fact, when Jean Ann and Howard come to Paris, they have little get-togethers and we go to the shows um, because we, we're a little network 
because she she has really paved the way for so many of us. I did not know that. I was at a crossroads in America. I was in the fine arts. I was a studio owner. I was into ballet, specifically Russian ballet. But I was 26 and I never felt like I had a full-fledged professional career. I was in a mm. mid-sized city. I didn't find a company that really gelled or paid full-time. It was difficult. So I did a lot of pick up work in Vegas. I never wanted to be a Vegas showgirl because it seemed like it was lower. And I write about that in my blog, birdintheworld.com. And why did us fine art people with training look down on entertainment? I see it as an issue and a problem that holds people back and that held me back because of my own snobbery. And there, what Paris Cabaret has shown me is a whole new education and appreciation for different culture and different genre of dances and respect for artists. So anyway, I, I was at a crossroads. I, so I applied to Gina and Ryan's company online, virtually. I had a website in seven days. They offered me a job and I took it. And it was a, a, a cruise around the world with an all British cast. And they had a phenomenal network. Working with the British are amazing. They're an amazingly talented people. Their show business industry is huge. I also worked at Thirstford Christmas Spectacle last year, also with them primarily, you know, United cast from the United Kingdom. Anyway, at the cruise ship, I asked my cast, hey, I want to dance in Europe. It's been my dream since I was 18 years old. Do you know of a company that would like me? Because by then I figured out I need a company that's going to hire me you know who wants a tall dancer with my training and of course I've gotten the the coaches and the training and and was the best I could be and in great shape and all that and they they said one word they said Lido I said what's that I never heard of it it's not that common to to heard of of Lido de Paris in at least the western United States I don't want to when I'm in America I usually just say it's Moulin Rouge's sister cabaret right you know grab hold of that but it, it, certainly it's so famous worldwide. So um, I took a little audition tour to Europe after that. And bless my lucky stars, they had the final audition for a new show in Paris where Benoit Swan, Jane Sansby, and Franco Dragon were sitting at the, de- the table. And I was chosen. And I felt at the time that especially Benoit, he wanted American dancers. He wanted dancers with university education, with a versatile background. And that's who I was. Um, I've done many, many different dance projects in my life, including ballet companies and improv troops that dance on the streets. And um, so, and that that's how I, I got to Europe. And um, from there, I was incorporated into a permanent contract and a permanent role. And I've lived the last five years in Lido. Do you remember your audition? Like what stands out? Did you feel like, oh, I've got this? Or was it challenging or frightening? Or I mean, you'd already done the cruise ship. I, I went different. in so centered. And I went in with, I got this. I know exactly who I am. They started with the plie in center. I stood right in the front in like a fuchsia pink leotard. And I showed them every ounce of my training and background and who I was. I have been through enough auditions to understand you either are going to work or you are not. You just have to be the best you can be. And I knew from like the first combo, I was like, this is 
this is going to go well. Of course, it was terrifying by the end because they're cutting people right and left. And, yeah. you know, you just don't know. Then also, um, I had a, there's a visa issue. They don't often hire Americans because of visas. Yeah. I remember a conversation <laughs> over the phone. I get a call a week later. You're hired. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm hired. This is a dream come true. <gasps> and then they're like, what's your visa? I go, well, I just have an Amer- passport, but I'll do anything. I'll do, I'll do anything. I'll go to the French consulate. They're like, oh, well, we'll see how the rest of the casting goes. Oh, no. I was terrified. I was like, don't tell me I lost this opportunity because of that was just the whole issue of how can Americans get to Europe? How can we get legally a, an artist or a talent visa? That was the whole mystery. But thankfully, the Lido called back they do have these bridges built and they do hire americans and they hired uh, five americans for that new show which was pretty unprecedented they don't usually hire that many benoit swanio he was a uh, director of cedar lake for a decade uh, which was a huge company in america it was funded by the walmart heiress that was like the ideal <laughs> company because it actually got paid in healthcare. um so benoit when he was well acquainted with uh, american talent and companies and so that was a big, uh, again, timing, luck, timing and, and luck in the right place. But um, right, I didn't know what I was walking into. I remember one of the first weeks of rehearsal, the Americans and I, uh, the French and the, the cast that had been there, the dancers who had been dancing at the Lido, they took a bunch of us out to see Moulin Rouge. And we had never seen it. We only know the Hollywood version. Right. And we were just so shocked. We just said, what do we sign up for? What is this? We, we didn't understand French cabaret at the time. And it was this great meshing of these supreme showgirls and showboys and this whole new breed of dancer who, you know, didn't bevel well, right? And we didn't understand what costumes we were wearing and, and why it mattered that our, you know, legs were going to be open in these poses, you know, because we didn't, we've never performed in, in strings on stages. So it, it was a, a lot of friction and a lot of tension for things to shake down, but you see so many of us, you know, embrace our inner showgirl and our sparkle. I was never oh. a girl who wore pink and sparkles. And now I'm, you know, to know cabaret is to know French culture. And for me, the arts and dance are just a key into the culture. So I feel, and I, I want to attribute something to Jeremy. I know you interviewed him. He's a wonderful presence at the Lido and what he does. He has his own production company now, Rev Art with Simone um, and Clement and a few other wonderful uh, creators in Paris. And Jeremy is like a little cabaret historian. And I learned so much from him and he helped me embrace and understand the, the culture. And now the Bluebell reunion and I got to see the legacy that I'm a part of and he's fabulous women. Wow. So, but in America, I got comments like, oh, you're going to go be a walking coat hanger for costumes. Ew, you're going to be, you know, and then they just turned up their noses at me and they, they don't understand it at, at all. So I kind of say it's the Broadway of, it's the Rockettes of Europe. So that's <laughs> a little bit more respect for us. Has anyone from that world come to Paris to see you in it? Like, have you been able oh, to many, the, many. Ex- How did like, they come out I of there? times a year oh they're just they're starstruck they're just and I like to take them to you know the three cabarets or as many cabarets as possible sometimes people you know just zip in and out and sometimes I I really know them and can host them oh they're just incredibly impressed they've never seen anything like it 
um, they they don't understand elegance. I know we're topless in Americans. You, you know, sometimes a lot of my colleagues we don't tell our family and friends who are coming from like Australia and American Canada that it's topless anymore because it's not. If we do, that will be their focal point there, and they'll start to worry or have right. notions. So we just kind of just let them go. And always a common comment after the show is, you know, by the end, I didn't even realize they were topless. And you're just like, yeah. right. Because it's, it's about sensuality. Yeah. It's about femininity. It's, it's about uh, the French culture that you can't, that you can only like absorb, right? You can't read mm. about it. You have to see it and experience it. The cabarets are really experienced. They, they fit in so well with the experiential economy, which was roaring really, really big before the pandemic, which I think will come back. People want an experience, you know, going to the cabarets. Do you also, I looked up on your wonderful resume, but Airbnb experience. Can you share a little bit about that, of what yes. you did with that? So I, I love hosting. And when you live in a, in a grand city, you're hosting people all the time. And I was taking people to the cabarets. I go, wow, well, Airbnb, I, um, I love these new fresh companies, you know, these under 30 companies that are building the world that we're living in, in the present. Right. And I, I saw that they had, they were going to revolutionize the tourism industry and tour guiding industry as they revolutionize the hotel industry. And that's connecting, you know, little people and their little lives with travelers. And now not just in their homes to have authentic experiences, but in their hobbies and like their identity. And I go, well, I have a, a fantastic identity. I'm a Paris, I'm an American in Paris showgirl. Yes. <laughs> people want that. People love that and to be close to me and I'm so tall and I'll wear heels, you know, you dress nice. Oh my gosh, you get respect wherever you go. So um, I presented the idea um, and I, I would like to present it again <laughs> because yeah. I think it, it would be just fabulous to, to meet a group who booked through, uh, I mean, there's a lot of details to be worked out, but definitely I presented this bridge that I hope, um, you know, the cabarets will look at. Um, and I know Crazy Horse did a little dabble with it, but essentially I hosted with um, an underground cabaret dance hall called Otoamaye. So Nina Simone famously um, sang there and really? many uh, American and European um, singers, and they have a fantastic international underground show. And so I would take experiences of, um, you know, a dancer in Paris, taking them to a really authentic, very famous, very hole in the wall and very chaotic place. Um, Jacques was the owner who actually passed recently and the cabaret has to now restart up without their, you know, Patron, but then um, it was an incredible time. And the, 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 I've made some lifelong friends from hosting, you know, these people into, in, in, in cabaret. So it's a magical place, Paris. Definitely you can get, you know, it can wear on you. It's a big city, but I've, I've yeah. been away for some time. I'm back and now I'm all enthused to be back. <laughs> I came for the reunion last summer, which I'm thinking everything now with pandemic, I'm like, I'm so glad that we had that last summer, you know, that it wasn't this year was the year that we wouldn't have been able to go. But I stayed at an Airbnb instead of a hotel and I was kind of far away. So some of the, the getting back and forth was tricky. But like if I had known there was an option to stay with a showgirl and to come and see the Moulin Rouge and to see the Lido and hear oh, the yeah. stories of someone in this show. Because now that I've interviewed so many of you, I need to go back because now I have like this, per this personal connection. Like I want to see you all in the show and thriving and like 
I've heard your story and like think that, this, that how much that seeing the well, life. This is exactly it. it. So and you, I wouldn't host people who would come and see this show through Airbnb. It's just the experience. But imagine they would yeah. book an experience with a Parisian showgirl at the cabaret they worked for. They'd be greeted. They'd be shown around, maybe just to the side of the stage, oh. you know, definitely not backstage access. That's right. Really, you know, it's very uh, different world. And, and be told the stories and, and you can walk by the costumes and you'll have a personal guide who not only is just a tour guide, but an actual performer who has a personal connection, you know, have a sip of champagne and then be like, well, ta-ta, I'm going to go get my makeup on. You know, you'll see me on stage. How That's incredible amazing. and how high dollar is that as well? Yeah. You know, or, and I know Airbnb, they've pivoted into like the luxury market. They've uh, bought up a company called Lux. Um, they're doing, they're doing a lot of things. I mean, it's a very innovative company that isn't going anywhere. It's something yeah. to watch and build partnerships uh, would be amazing. It'd be amazing with that. And also oh we need to get a bit creative right now, don't we? You had said the, audience. the word nimble, <laughs> like dancers are nimble because if people have careers, like this is what I've done my whole life. And like, like, like you said, I didn't know what Zoom was. Now my dance studio, we're teaching on Zoom. I've been teaching kinesiology classes mm -hmm. on Zoom. Like you get creative mm -hmm. where that personality is kind of already baked in all of us that can just move to a different city and can switch. And I love what you have this opportunity for career advancement through the Lido. Cause I feel like that's really unusual. Cause I was telling you my 80s experience like you just go from show to show to show you don't realize am I trying to go upward or build a, something sustainable we just went from one thing to the other but the mindset that you have is like how do I keep doing what I'm doing while this works and have something else that advances me I just love that along with the word nimble <laughs> so uh, I graduated university in the recession and that's when um having multiple income streams to one person and understanding you're not, you're going to be working for multiple companies and you are going to have your personality and your identity as your brand. This has been the outward projection of that. Also, since, is it 2006, Lido was purchased by Sodexo, Fortune 500 company. They own um, the tour boats and they, they, they're a huge, huge company, huge umbrella company. And Lido is just like a little gem, you know, on their bracelet. Um, so this is an interesting opportunity for dancers. We don't have room for upward mobility in the typical dance company, right? Yeah. So this has, this, it, it, it can, but it's, maybe that leads me to be inspired and you're like, oh, I'm a dancer and I know this industry and it's an industry that you can go into marketing or sales or development, international business to writing and you can just build on your own platform through your own experiences. So, um, and I, I'm more of a progressive person. I, I work for a, another, or I rep for a company called um, Choreography Online. And this is also new, it's a new technology. It's, um, choreography that can be copyrighted and licensed oh. so if you think about you buy music online it's protected the artist yeah. will get money by that music what about stock photography oh that's a pretty picture i need it for my website you just go on and you buy and that and the money goes to the photographer well what about choreography right now dance is in the palm of our hands worldwide our bodies are the choreographer and then how do you protect that 
you know, and, and what are the laws around that? So this is a new world and I'm very excited about, very excited about that. So I belong to a newish, you know, cabaret and um, I love working with um, these ideas and, and creating the world we're living in now. That is so inspiring. There's just so many things about just hearing that you have this connection, like things, people like Jeremy that have the history and then mm -hmm. the progression that if you can hold both, it's so beautiful instead of throwing away what's, you know, history or iconic and considered old and not valid anymore, like how to honor that, but still um, move things in a way that it's progressing. And it's also uh, advancing more people because I have to look at what the name of it, the diversity. Can you share about that? Because uh, yes. you Cabaret said things that, uh, yeah. Can you share about what that is and the conversations that have already been happening, but like I've interviewed some people, I, like um, Christopher, like how, when I interviewed him, it was right in the middle with Black Lives Matter after the George Floyd murder, that it's on the news everywhere. And it wasn't just America, it was all over the world. We were watching these protests. But these are not, they're new conversations for some people, but in the dance world, in the, the cabaret world, can you just, I won't even put more words there because you said it much more beautifully than I am. Sure. So Christopher Renfam and I, uh, we called each other up and you know a civil rights uprising was happening all around us in the middle of a pandemic shutdown and we've had these conversations since i've known him since he joined the company in i believe 2016 had these conversations with many dancers in the company um just in, in you know on our own in our dressing rooms so these conversations about around diversity around casting around the identity around ethics around what it means to put dancers on stage and what stage is that and where are we located and as leader de paris it's 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 a standard and communication of french culture they put this a beauty standard I mean, there's so much power and image. And what is the dance? The, what is our language of dance? It's bodies on stage. And there's a lot of conversations to be had. When do you, a dancer transcends their, their identity? You know, showgirls and boys were meant to all be homogenous and look alike. Well, does that work in this new era and in our city of Paris? And who are the French? Who... And who am I? I'm an American in Paris. Like, there's so many um, wonderful layers to this that um, now's the time to talk and now's the time to explore uh, because there's this huge movement, a global movement that is at our backs and it's brought the conversation to the forefront so we can be comfortable opening up and talking about it because it does matter. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's about humanity, the arts, you know, it's, it's a beautiful medium that we work with. And if you want to, you know, ignore this topics or conversations, I don't think that's, you would be just ignoring the reality that, that you live in. So as far as Christopher, I said, hey, um, we've had these conversations a lot. Maybe we should take some action and, and put our thoughts about creating a casting pool together uh, so essentially, we created a page in a little um, entity called Cabaret Diversity Network, which is hopefully what it sounds like. It's a network of resources that will serve essentially two sides, the dancers, the next generation, the current dancers, and also the companies hiring the dancers. 
So if companies put out, we're having an audition, it's open for everyone, come on down. And then who is showing up? It's primarily Caucasian dancers and they don't really know why or, you know, or if there's dancers who are leaving the company and they don't know why. Um, you know, this is something that needs to be explored and you need to have a space that both companies can explore that and dancers can explore that and dancers can be heard and listened to. And also the companies can present their issues and concerns. It's not a one size fits all situation. So over the summer, uh, myself and some uh, many dancers around the world and some colleagues worked with a woman named Teresa Ruth Howard and she runs Mob Ballet, Memoirs of a Black Ballerina. And she provided a lot of resources that inspired so many dancers to, as she says, activate your activism. And that's mm. such a great friend because it's already inside us. Like why were we so proud to be part of a new company uh, a new show, Perry Merveille, that had such a beautiful array of diversity on stage. And why were we so sad when that diversity, you know, left? You know, dancers, there's a turnover, some, you know, natural. And, and you know, that it, there's a legacy that we need to continue, which is part of Cabaret Diversity Network, is to honor the legacy. There has been um, Chinese dancers and, oh, you can... I mean, how do you even describe dancers of different ethnic backgrounds who've come from either different countries or from this from France, but have a different cultural heritage. There's been so many on the stage. And so this is a place to celebrate them, to uplift them, to help us remember them and help encourage and, role, and provide role modeling and resources for the next generation. So you can go on Instagram. We also have a Facebook, Cabaret Diversity. And we're so excited about it. The feedback we've gotten is great. People are enthused. And we hope to provide a great service for the French community and for communities, dance communities worldwide. So just adding, adding our little tiny piece of the puzzle to the global picture. Well, they, because now you are living in the French culture, like how even just the show is kind of a new, unique thing to you, but living in Paris is very different. Have you noticed, is it, does it feel more diversified there than other places you've been? Or is it kind of we struggle with the same things just because of the nature of the business? This is such an interesting question. And these are the, the questions that need to be talked about at leadership levels of companies. Yeah. Who are we? Who, what are we presenting on stage? Does yeah. it matter? Does it matter now? Did it matter then? What if we did this? Why did that... Why did the public not respond like we thought they would respond? You know, and these are these questions and there's um, diversity, inclusion, and equality training. That's, it's just, there's so many um, resources that we can use to educate ourselves formally or informally to gain, um, have little organized groups and interact. So this is, I'm, I'm not providing you know, who, who <laughs> I don't have the answers and the solutions of, of a company that's not mine, right? Right. So this is a, my responsibility as a, as a performer. I'm part of it. I love my company. All us dancers have so much pride in what we are and the potential of us and how we can move in the future and what we were. There's, mm. there's, it's unquestionable. And it's just kind of like a, a little software update. 
it's pretty yeah. easy, right? Yeah. Like we, you know, Eng the English National Ballet, they just hired uh, a dancer, a male dancer from India. Amazing, right? Because England and India's connection is so strong. And India has an amazing dance community there. It's just, it's, um, I mean, they have a huge Bollywood. And same, Alito, they have had a lot of interest in Asia and, and different parts of Asia, India included, because there's these markets and that's who we're performing to. I mean, I could just propose an idea about, oh, what about relationships and building relationships between companies and countries. I mean, it's just, it can be a really wonderful thing if you look at it even diplomatically or through business ties. So, so much can be done. There's so many great dancers within, you know, any nation. And then for companies who hire internationally, who seek, you know, the best dancers on earth or the tallest and cabaret standard, like we are rare creatures. You have to be mm -hmm. <laughs> of a certain look and a standard and a training. And um, it, there's so many factors that go into it. Um, so it's, it's very, it's a very ex exciting time. It's a very, uh, can be confusing time, vulnerable time right now um, for, for companies everywhere. Because not only was there this Black Lives Matter movement, there's a, a pandemic and then there was the economic fallout. And then tourism and travel are changed. And this is like, you know, the pillars of our industry you know, bodies, people, yeah. travel audiences, and, you know, funding. It's just, it's, it's remarkable, but, oh, you know, out of the ashes is going to come something amazing. So that was, I think the first week that my studio closed down, we were doing like a virtual dance day. And one of the, I mean, it was just sad because nobody knew what was going on or how long that was going to last. It was mm -hmm. like, the first part was just shock and like, okay, hunker down. But then like, like how long can we sustain this? And as one of the teachers was saying, like arts always survive. They survive war and family. Like, we may not survive. Our companies may not survive, but the arts will always survive. And you think of, like, you know, World War, like, it's kind of the fluffy entertainment. Like, they escape. Like, I just want to feel good and bring on the color mm -hmm. and the sparkles and the pretty girls. And then, you know, there's tragedy art that comes out of it to express. Because, like you said, when you're watching everything that you work for possibly go away, like, you know, it's like your identity. It's who you are. And maybe we'll get back on stage. Maybe we won't. Do I bag this and go do something else or hang on? It just feels like everybody is in this globally. Every interview I've done, like I've interviewed people in Australia and New Zealand and England, we're all feeling it. And my professional dance days are over, but it still feels, I feel so connected because I want one thing. I just want to go to Paris and see you guys. Like I'm just mad that the United mm -hmm. States isn't allowed out of the United States because of how, how poorly it's been handled. But like I, I want to know if I can go see those. And even if it's new and updated and definitely more diverse, it just gives me hope to know that yes, things will shift and change, but that the arts really matter and the artists really matter. It's a, it's a bit of a sad time because you brought up how many dancers right now are retiring early. How many dancers yeah. right now are making full-blown, they're leaving the stage prematurely, or maybe they've never gotten to the stage because they yeah. know that, right? It's like the Olympians. You know, sometimes you only have one chance, but maybe I don't want to be bleak about that because again, my, my best parts of my career happened after I was 27. You can always, you know, recharge, you know, but if you're 24 right now, great. But if you're 30 or 28 right now, you're going to be making different decisions. So and you have to kind of chase where's the platform. 
mm. uh, where are the contracts? Um, there's something called the International Online Dance Competition. First ever, completely online, completely online uh, competition. Yeah. Over 500,000 people viewed it and watched it. I mean, this is where technology and dance comes in. And there's, and who, who are the dancers? You know, there's the, the next generation and the current dance makers. So it's a learning curve. I believe we are, we're continuing to go, but we have to, as always, especially being in America where nothing was guaranteed. You right. have to be resilient, you have to be nimble, and you have to be looking where, where are things moving now? I, I like to work on the international level. I think I'm watching what Singapore is doing. You know, I'm watching what, of course, I'm in Europe, what the dance production companies in Dubai are doing. So if you work on this level, you can see a lot of different opportunities. And I'm not, yeah. some days I don't have the fear of, oh no, it's all crashing down. Right. You know, we're working on uh, it. Yeah. Well, you had said something too about the, the cabarets in Paris that, that Jonah, who I interviewed him, I, I think I laughed. He's one of the ones I laughed so much because he's so funny, mm -hmm. but also creative and deep and that he hosts mm -hmm. a cabaret competition. Has, was, that was pre-pandemic. Lip sync. Yes. Now, can you share just the fact that it's not competitive between, I mean, it might be some competition between the shows, but that all I know is Follies Berger, the Moulin Rouge, and the Lido. And I know there's more, but I think that there's a bigger world in Paris than maybe anywhere else as far as cabaret and what's considered cabaret. Cabaret, cabaret community in one city. Le Nouveau Love, Paradis Latin, which has a new show and a fabulous cast. Uh, Crazy Horse just opened a few days ago. <gasps> and Parody Baton, they also just opened, and Jonas went to their opening night. So cabarets are opening, and then we have the big hitters, Moulin Rouge, um, Lido de Paris. Follies, they don't have a standing show. They they have, like, uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier's um, uh, Fashion Freak show, which was a sort of cabaret, was there for a while before they toured and hired a lot of dancers from the cabaret world and fashion models. So... Yes, the cabaret community in Paris is alive and well. And thanks to Jonas, who brought some American flair of come togetherness. Because when I got here, too, I was like, are the other cabaret dancers friends? You know, is there a competition? But honestly, most dancers, they, they float between companies or they, they move. You know, there, there's some fluidity between the two. And then mm. you can find your, I'm a Mulan and I'm a Lido dancer. And sometimes it's physical limitations. I'm not tall enough or I'm too tall, all this. So anyway, the lip sync battle. <laughs> you come and you represent your cabaret. You can form a little group, a solo or a group act. And you perform a, a song and dance of your choice at a venue. And it's rowdy and people are dressed up. And there's a winner at the end. And it's, you know, based on who cheers the loudest. It's been running two years straight. And Jonas is the MC. He's dressed up in full drag. And I want photos. <laughs> we should be on TV. It's just, you know, it has to be live. It has to be live. So we, we've, had, um, we've had great times. And I hope that uh, tradition will continue. And I'm proud that an American has started it. Because it feels like home. It feels like mm. home when we have these social events that bring everyone together, despite, you know, the different identities of the cabaret you can say we're, we're all dancers mm. from everywhere <laughs> yeah well that's the the international part that's so fun is hearing you know 
people in Australia, how they find their way to the Lido or somebody that, you know, like if you didn't even know it was a thing, like the stories of how people end up there, great. But that um, international, like I feel like I grew up in a small town and my first show was Hello Hollywood, Hello in Reno. But my row was probably about a third Aussies and Brits, somebody from uh, South Africa. So I learned so much just the conversations backstage is like how Mm -hmm. similar, but how different. And I think your world opens up so much. So here you are in this really international city. And I love that the cabarets are connected and, you know, you find, you find how different they are and how that even adds more diversity in the, and even just how cabarets are different. It's interesting to see like which nationalities are, are hired, like, is there a rhyme or a reason? I was reflecting just the other day because Miss um, Bluebell, she came about the time shortly after World War II and the alliances between France and Great Britain. I mean, they worked so closely together. There was so much respect and solidarity between the two in America and all the allies. And also, and I think that kind of gave way into Australia, you know, through the linking of the, the people from the UK who went to Australia, because there's a huge legacy in dance studios. You know, Jean Anne would go to Australia yeah. and then it became like a source of a certain type of dancer. You know, and right now um, we have some wonderful Italians and uh, some great German dancers have come through, um, Polish dancers, of course, the Eastern European, Belarusian, Russian, um, are all through all the cabarets, especially in Strasbourg, Anthony. Not, you know, Americans will float through once in a while. Uh, we had, Lolito had a, a dancer from Mexico, Mexico City, Carmen, who's fabulous, gorgeous, nice. gorgeous dancer, excellent. Um, that was quite a rarity. You know, so it's, um, it, it's interesting how those connections are made. And that's, it brings me back to the Cabaret Diversity Network. It's like, well, you know, who else can we connect with? Because it, you know, who, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's interesting. So you're, we haven't really talked about your experience in the show as a dancer. Like, did you just embrace that fully or did it take a little adjusting from going differently? I mean, the cruise ships were a nice connection f- from going from like the high arts of a ballet company, but did like performance and the, the glitz and the performance, did it feel different or just being around it? Did it kind of just seep into you? Did you have, was it a learning curve or I mean, it sounds like you definitely knew who you were, which I think that's such a beautiful thing. Like you said, with your pink tights and you, you're hitting your first position, like you, it's 27, you have a very different, hopefully not everybody does that, a, a connection to your own self. But if you're coming in at 18 and you're like, wow, like I'm in Paris and I've never seen any of this before. Like it feels like some grounding is probably a really good thing to know a little bit more who you are. That was a lot of questions. It, starting the show... <laughs> And for so many um, dancers who come to Paris, we leave our homes and we leave our families and we know zero people here. So yeah. our, we have a showgirl family. And I believe it's still a tradition when you know, a new dancer comes in, hopefully they're hired in pairs, so it's a bit easier. You, know, you, you, accept, you accept them because sometimes they're not plugged in to the community and it can be hard. As far as performing, we had such a long creation period the choreography was very fresh. It, it took getting uh, dancing in heels, three and a half inches, four inch heels. That took some getting used to, um, like contemporary style. And I think the biggest learning um, was, or the biggest adjustment was my endurance. I never have I ever performed 
12 shows a week. Uh, we didn't have vacation for like four or five months or six months or something like that because some, wow. something was happening at the time. I don't know what, but we didn't have breaks and we had one day off a week. I would just sleep all day and do yeah. have to adjust. Wow. How do I have my energy so I have a good second show? What do I need to eat? You know, the whole balance of like your body is a machine and you had to figure out how to calibrate it, how to, at, at a whole new level. It wasn't seasonal work. You have a, we have a one show season, which feels like a breeze, you know, but nine months out of the year, you do 12 shows a week and you have to plan your vacations and be like, can't go 12 weeks without, you know, a break. Cause you know that you're, so you're going to have muscle spasms and you just can't, you know, mentally you'll be fatigued and you got to keep it fresh. You have to keep a standard. You're performing next to, I mean, especially the, the sublimes at Lido, such a high standard of performance the bells, the blue, I can't, just, not just them, but my colleagues, I admire who I dance next to. And when you're having a bad night, you can just look to someone on stage, you know. So um, get, getting to that endurance was, it's incredible to have a show like that. Sorry. You know, we also, we, uh, in 2015, we had terrorism attacks. Uh, my seventh day in Paris was the Charlie Hebdo. I remember oh, getting caught up in this million-person march down the Republic where Macron and all the leaders were speaking. I was sick with the French flu. I had no idea what was going on. Um, that I mean, that was the seventh day. And then a few months later, um, the show opened in April. And by November, we had um, we were performing while the the major attacks took place and it was a night of chaos and, and trauma and then the the fallout from that was a, a downturn in the economy and tourism yeah and to have a new show into terrorism and so finally by 2018 it started to perk back up uh audience we've noticed oh we have more audience you know 2019 we're just feeling like the party's back on things are going great and now, you know, this happened. So <laughs> how can I describe the last five years of doing the, the same show? And um, that's a, you know, that's a lot a of so I learned, oh, 14, 16 little spots and there's little features that you can learn. And so I learned all of them and to keep me entertained and, you know, built my community in and out of the show. How did you guys function as a company? when those when the terrorism things like did did you feel you guys were there for each other because that's that's a lot i mean we were watching it from here and we've had our own stuff here but it just feels like when you are your safety and you're away from home and yeah yeah i mean everyone's family was like come home what are you doing yeah. over there and, and we were all like no i'm 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 staying i mean it was disappointing you know how it is in the lodges and in the bluebells like captain's got our back uh there are a lot of people we we experienced because we were performing during the attacks and there was a lot of chaos of there's a bomb outside of lido someone attacked the eiffel tower you're like having these visions of gunmen coming in the theater people are crying and off stage yeah. people were vomiting screaming like because uh, uh the the leadership at the time uh, did not make as an american who grew up in post 9-11 world we had you know red alert yellow alert, amber alert, yeah. we, and, and with live shooters everywhere in our country, 
we knew what a lockdown was. We knew how to shut things down. And when, uh, after the first show, the call was made to continue the second show, I knew it was the wrong call. And I went up to my captain. I said, I, this is wrong. And she goes, I agree. And they tried to appeal to the leadership. And um, they said, we're going to go on and do the show. Our audience were hiding underneath the tables. One, they weren't all in there because they shut down the gate. Um, yeah, it was, oh, it, we were oh. safe. We were safe. Nothing. But you didn't know that. Did yeah, you? yeah. And the whole city of Paris, it was a wake up call for Paris because Paris, they didn't even lock down the city in time. Uh, so there was conversations afterwards and we have a whole exit route and, you know, that was amended. But from coming, I mean, America, yeah. as we can see from the events this year, the violence is tragically, yeah. it's, um, you know, our, our country. What can I say about that? But I grew up in that post 9-11 world and so I was very surprised that we continued with a an attack line and we continued the show so uh, many dancers had some post-traumatic stress events after that we were having panic attacks we would get confused you know the first night back was very sweaty <laughs> we were yeah very nervous. Yeah. you know but um definitely we we had um we had each other's hearts and we reached out to each other we um we talked to each other if we weren't feeling well at that time that was quite something I remember later I um I returned to the states not long after that and I had to fly out of uh California to Paris it was right after the San Bernardino shootings do you remember that um and our, my plane was going to Paris and we were just going to go over the Atlantic when suddenly lights went down emergency landing they wouldn't tell us why but they kept asking about a laptop can you people who have electronics with a lot of wires out of them so and when we landed on the tarmac we thought we were just going to get off in Montreal no there was a blast radius set up around us fire trucks police ambulances and we're sitting there on this plane looking at this radius of emergency vehicles we're like there's there's something on the plane it's oh probably gosh. a bomb but no one said anything we were served ice cream we thought it was the last ice cream we'll ever eat it was a very surreal experience. They evacuated the plane. They checked for the bomb. There was a bomb threat that was called in on our flight. Um, and then we had to get back on the same plane, fly into Paris. Remember, I got into Paris. I had to go through Gare l'Est to get to my apartment. They were At the time, when they would see a, a package or a backpack that was dropped, they would explode it on site. It was just policy at the time. They were doing that. It was like a blast in the train station. People were, I hid behind a trash can. People were screaming and fleeing. I don't know what, you know. So I sometimes it's like, what was happening? I was like, I'm done with trains. I'm going to get up out on the street. I'm going to take a taxi. I'm going to go home. I'm just going to sleep for 12 hours. Like, this is too stressful. I mean, those are some of the experiences that I had from my first year in Paris. Oh, um, my gosh. It was, it um, it was a crazy time. Hasn't stopped being crazy. Yeah, and I think it's, it, I think the pandemic, like you said, it's exposed a lot. It's brought up a lot of things that needed to be bubbled up. But even when you see how unsafe it feels to be in America, and apparently that it feels like we realize there's nowhere to go. Like, I would like to leave, but we're not allowed to go anywhere. But it's like we're all dealing with the things that, that have been there, like terrorism and, you know, the structures that are like our healthcare in America. Like, it feels like everything is 
exposed. And then like, you just keep going on and you, and it feels like to just be fake and get on stage and smile. Like you guys are dealing with real life, like the PTSD. And, and I think never to negate of, of how, how life can be like so hard and so beautiful in the midst and be able to hold both, I think makes for really beautiful art and beautiful artist, as opposed to like, la 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 la, like nothing is wrong. Everything's fine. Like, I think we're all feeling the squeeze. And as we, I would do, we do need to end here soon. I've just loved this. I feel like there's so much of your um, vision and how you can hold the reality of how this is difficult. And what is it like to reimagine without ignoring that this is difficult. I think that, that that's where the maturity to move forward is, as opposed to just ignoring it. Um, to end us, I know you're just put on the spot here, but how do you imagine moving forward for yourself and for cabaret, maybe as a big whole, but even entertainment, like we're at a place where we could just try to go back to where we were, but I don't think we have that option, even if we wanted it. Like, how do you imagine for yourself? How to move forward in a crisis and in a, a time of rebuilding and a time of uncertainty, continued uncertainty. We haven't yet begun to digest everything that's happened in the last nine months. But one thing for sure is how to move forward is with our relationships, with our community, our colleagues, and each other. Yeah. How, where do you... Where does peace start? Peace starts in your living room and at the dinner table. Where does war start? Disagreement in your living room and at the dinner table. So as far as to, to rebuild, and if you're like me who <laughs> suffers from idealism and naivete, <laughs> I, I have to have these role models and, and be one myself who believes that we can move forward together. We can celebrate. And also this last nine months has shown us how valuable the arts are and the creatives are and how much we need them and rely on them and how much they are. I don't want to say flourishing because it has happy connotations, but if you look around you, every, there's an explosion happening of, of creativeness. So how do you harness that? How do you get back on track, get in the audiences in there? In a, in a world where travel is threatened down and if you're an industry that relies on globalization. Well, I, I say you have to keep for, uh, continuing forward and, and look at technology and build the relationships. If something has fallen away, like a, a way of selling the tickets or a way of attracting a certain audience, there is something rising up and, and to greet that. So... I see there's a lot of opportunity happening. There's a lot of movement happening. It's a chaotic time. And I really respect and appreciate all the, my, my colleagues and being, I'm, so I'm in my thirties and being in my thirties is very cool because mm. my colleagues are just accomplished and they're developed and they're creating their own entities. Um, and we're, we're building our, our, a network and we're, we are building kind of what the next generation is going to be feeding into right now. Oh. So uh, 
<laughs> wish me well in my my yes. transition from the stage <laughs> to something else but I know that um, we're all looking forward to returning to the stage and the, are the smiles that we're, we we have a show I mean it, go, it can get pretty dark and um, powerful and it can get very exuberant and bright so it's a fun show because we have many emotions in the show yeah uh, I know we are just that opening night, can you imagine what it's going to feel like to be all together again in whatever capacity? Mm. Uh, I know Francis, they're dealing with the pandemic of we're just, they're learning how to live with it and go forward. I think that's their approach I was reading in the right. news. Yeah. So we'll see. It's a lot of start and stop, trial and error, patience. Again, relations just um, support each other and um, that's it. <laughs> and and that's technology. <laughs> And technology, oh my gosh, I'm wiping tears, and I was feeling very um, moved by what you said. I'm a bit a little choked in my throat here. I think the piece that stood out that made me cry was hope. Like, it feels like if we just try to imagine without understanding how hard this is, hope just feels wimpy. Like, to mm -hmm. me, I, one of my favorite um, definition of hope, it's not optimism, it's a defiant stance against despair. Mm -hmm. Because we can either act like this isn't hard and try to make something that's not going to exist because of, that is hard, but to fall into despair and give up um, because it feels like, I think we all need a good nap right now. We need a good cry, but without Let me tell you, America, America is so stressful in the election year where the oh uprising gosh. started, um, the devastation of the pandemic. How, how that's measured and the chaos and the confusion and the tension just you can I couldn't living there I couldn't even go to my grocery store without running into a political conversation um, it's very intense there yeah. I, any artist, anyone in America living here at this time you know courage 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 have a nap yeah Wine yeah chocolate. that's yeah, And, you know, but one foot, that's what I said. I, I spoke to my family a lot. They're, I was like, what am, how, my, that's my family. They're so supportive. They're so supportive. How do I get, they're just, we'll take it three months at a time. I'm like, okay, I'll take it week by week. Because you don't know what's going to happen next week. My home of Oregon caught on fire. My, yeah. You know, the that fire was, was two miles away from my childhood home. How could I ever have imagined that would ever happen? Yeah. And my, my home would be burned down. This is 2020. So one week at a time. That's another right. way of how you move forward. One yeah. week at a time. Yeah. yeah. It's a hard time. There's no illusions about that. Yeah. And I think it is when we can hold that honestly and find hope mm -hmm. that feels rooted in that as opposed to floating above it, not connected mm -hmm. to reality. Like I feel like that's, that's what's going to move us into something new that we can't quite imagine yet. We don't have the answers, but like you said, run race, the, the conversations are, are. Right. But people are imagining it. And that's who I looked through. I did the resilient artist series because I needed when I was, when the shutdown happened, I was so, I was grieving, but there were people around me creating. I wasn't at that point yet, but yeah. I needed them in my life. So I did a series about them and we all have different roles to play in this. Yeah. So for people to follow, because I think that your diversity thing, can you say again where to find um, your blog and the, the, the um, 
diversity and even your Instagram. Do you want to just share that if people would like to yeah, see your sure. so work? My more like private Instagram, I mean, it's public, but it's just me posting and also posting um, who I'm interviewing, uh, kind of dance issues that I write about is Bird in the World. This is all on Instagram or the official website, birdintheworld.com. I'm sure you'll be linking to it in the bio. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then my showgirl gallery, as we started off the interview with, uh, is Hilary A. Perry, so just the letter A. And then the, the Cabaret Diversity Network. Uh, please have a follow if you want to celebrate cabaret and how wonderful it is and give an uplift to all the diverse dancers that we have um, throughout the ages now and in the future. And if you're an aspiring dancer or you, or if you're a dance studio owner, you know, all of the <laughs> above, go and give it a like and follow. We're just beginning. We're just um, starting to collaborate and make content for that. So it's just getting off the ground, but please give us a follow Cabaret Diversity Network and wish us all luck for the future. We'll oh see you gosh, in the man. audience, right? Well, absolutely. As soon as that's allowed, I my plan <laughs> is to be there and celebrate because every interview I've done from that cast, I've been so impressed of just the character of all of you. Like there's just so much depth and beauty and um, the connections that you have and knowing that Jonah's the Mulan and there's connection across the shows. It's not just within one show. It just gives me, again, that piece of hope of that. Um, you can't just have talent. You, you really have to have character to make an impression yes. in the arts world and well, for your audience. To survive. <laughs> and to survive. Yeah. Hillary, there's another thank you. American. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Finish that. No, there's a, there's another dancer at, at Crazy Horse that you might want to look into. <gasps> Oh my gosh. Okay. That's what I've been finding. Once I find won't tell her, she might be listening. Okay. We're trying to wrangle her. Yeah. I feel like once I started with one that I get to find more and then that it's definitely, I'm going to be doing this probably for 20 years because there's so many people to talk to and every story is amazing and interesting. And some are funny, some are inspiring. Like, there's all the things that make it so unique of why a show isn't just flatline. It's not just all sparkle and all that we need all, mm -hmm. we need all the stories, we need all the depth and the, angles to like the our humanity it's all mm -hmm. absolutely <sighs> i look forward to it. Well, thank you thank you so much and we'll be posting some of your beautiful photos and we will give credit to the photographer that just captured the beauty in a way that i've not seen and and i just have to say the photos i have from the 80s were taken from a crappy instamatic camera and we weren't really allowed to take pictures so we, they're all like pictures that were sneakily done by the bathroom with the terrible <laughs> and so the fact that you guys have professional pictures to capture the the magnificence of your show is just a gift to you guys but also to us to see like this high quality photography and the backstage getting ready photos are just as amazing as the onstage ones. I agree and follow that's a Joe photo he's a showboy out of England uh, and he started taking photos of the dancers backstage. They're incredible photos. Yeah. That's a Joe photo. We will definitely we lucky, link. Aren't we lucky we have this technology right now? And yeah, the Lido is receptive to that and supportive of us. So, you know, shout out to the Lido. Yeah, well, that's also you know, looks good for the Lido. Artists. Like these amazingly beautiful dancers and costumes. Like that's like, of course, we're going to go see that show because we've had a little taste. So Hillary, best to you. I look forward to following again on Instagram to see like when you guys open and what, what your next launch is, what your runway is to the next thing. 
this is what's fun for me is to keep following to see these people that I get to talk to for an hour to see like where their life goes from here. I look forward to updating you. <laughs> <laughs> Once a bluebell, always a bluebell. Once a bluebell, always a bluebell. I'm, I'm now part of the legacy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a beautiful one. Thank you, Hillary. Bye.